Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. GVC is a non-denominational church in Flint, Michigan, and our mission is simple. To love God, love people, and love life. I know that you will be blessed by the message and the words that God has for you today. Now, here's Pastor Tony. hearing that music made me think of McIntyre. I don't know how I, I know him. I'll get with you afterwards because when I saw that, I'm like, I know him somewhere. We have crossed paths. We have done something together, and I can't remember. So I'll get with you. I'm interested to know about that. Hey, good to see everyone out tonight. We're continuing with our series tonight. We've been talking about the believer's authority, the authority that God has given us through Jesus and what Jesus came to do. And by and large, this authority that we've been talking about is what Jesus came to do. Yes, he purchased salvation. He paid the price for sin so that we could have eternal life. But he also came, the the Bible says in John 10, 10, that we would have life and life more abundantly. And so therefore, he says, I've commissioned and given you the authority to walk as my kids in the earth. And so just for the sake of maybe just reviewing just a bit and answering some questions, and and I I always welcome questions because sometimes people say, well, what about this? And so if you recall, the first week we talked about just the significance of the blood of Jesus, of how important that it is and how the blood of Jesus gives us boldness uh, to walk in this authority. For the Bible says in Revelation, it says that they overcome, they being us, They overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And so therefore God has caused us to be overcomers through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But we also said this, that when it comes to uh, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus took care of the sin problem in the earth. I made the statement in saying it is not a sin problem that we have in the world anymore. Sin is not what's keeping people from heaven or sending people to hell The thing that is keeping people out of heaven is they reject the answer for the sin problem. Jesus came and paid the price for sin, and therefore sin is no longer the issue. It's what are you doing with this Jesus that paid the price for it. Does that make sense? And so somebody had asked me afterwards, and again, this is probably oftentimes a question that people ask. They said, well, when it comes to sin being taken care of, Does that mean that we don't have to ask for forgiveness of sin? Does that mean that we don't sin anymore? And for for those that might have questioned that, when it comes to sin, again, sin has been dealt with. Sin has been conquered through Jesus. But do we as believers sin? Well, the word sin in itself means to miss the mark. How many of you can say, you know what, I've missed the mark. I missed it today. We all do. And the Bible also also says this, he that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. So in other words, when the Holy Spirit is working on an individual's heart, a believer's heart, and they choose to directly 
disobey or do something contrary when the Holy Spirit is leading and there's that knowing on the inside that says, man, I know that God's telling me to do or not do, but I choose to do, knowing to do good but doing it not, to me it becomes sin or in other words, I miss the mark. And then the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that just simply means that if I miss it, if I mess up, all I got to do is like, God, man, I messed up and, and, and forgive me. But here's the thing. It's not just a blanket, well, forgive me. I know I messed up, so I'll just throw the words out there and I'm forgiven because I asked for forgiveness. No, forgiveness or the heart of forgiveness is really a heart of repentance. And repentance means to turn around and head the opposite direction. So again, it's a sincerity of heart to say, man, God, I missed it. And I don't want to keep doing that. I'm choosing to make a choice to head the different direction. Does that make sense? And so, therefore, if, if I know that I've missed it, God, I've disappointed you. God, I just didn't do what I should have or what you were telling me to do or not do. And, man, forgive me. The sincere heart of a believer that says, forgive me, God says, I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Well, then I thought the Bible says that we are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. We are. Jesus dealt with the sin. So let me just put it to you like this. It says he cleanses us from unrighteousness. So if he cleanses me, that must mean that I must be dirty in some way. Well, so I'm thinking of my son. My son loves brownies. So we've got brownies on the counter, and he's getting ready for bed, and he's in the shower getting all cleaned up. He gets out, gets his PJs on. He's squeaky clean. I mean, he smells good, looks good, got his hair all styled up. He's ready for bed because he's clean. But then all of a sudden, we th- where did Carson go? Well, we walk in the kitchen, and he's got chocolate brownies smeared all across his face. Now, just seeing the brownies smeared on his face, do we say, oh, got to throw him back in the shower again. He's unclean. Do I got to wash him all over again? No, all I do is wipe the unrighteousness off him or the unclean part, right? But he, as a boy is clean because he just got washed well that's what jesus did for us we might miss the mark and so god forgive me he said well let me just clean that up a little bit does that make sense and it in him going and having some brownie on his face does not jeopardize the relationship that i have with him he's still my son i'm like son what'd you do (laughs) you're like nothing didn't do nothing did you get some brownie no (laughs) right does that make sense And so, again, does it mean that we've got this, just this excuse to live like we want to or or, uh, just as close to the edge as we can? No, I don't want to get close to the edge and, and, you know, I want to be as far from sin as I can. I want to live righteous before God. And are there those times that I, I, I mess up or miss the mark? Yeah, but when I do, God, forgive me. And he just realigns me. Amen? Now, the other question that we had, if you recall, last week we were talking about Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, and one of the things that we pointed out that really makes a significant impact in this life for us as a believer is that everything that we saw Jesus doing, Jesus always referred to himself as the Son of Man, never the Son of God. 
When he went to the cross, he always referred to himself as the Son of Man. When he uh, uh, rose from the grave, he referred to himself as the Son of Man. And so we say, well, was he God? He was 100% God, but he was 100% man. And we saw in the book of Hebrews that he laid down his deity, his God form, and became in the likeness of man. He was 100% man walking in this earth, and therefore everything that he did on the earth, he did not do as the Son of God, he did as the Son of Man. And that is significant for you and I because that tells me that what Jesus was able to accomplish in terms of walking in freedom, I can walk in that because I'm a man and he was a man. Now, that always presents challenge for us when we hear that because I said, you know, I realize that our upbringing has oftentimes told us, well, Jesus, he did those things to prove his deity and the scripture doesn't tell us that. And so I said, that really has an opportunity to mess with our tradition and our religion. And we start to ponder and question those things that we've been taught versus really what the Word of God says. And so somebody asked and says, well, you said that he never referred to himself as the Son of God. He said, but you remember when he was in the garden being tempted, he said to Satan at the last temptation or that we have record of, he says, Get thee behind me, he says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And he said, so, he said or referred to himself when he spoke to Satan as the Lord God. So, is there a contradiction there? Well, one of the things that we have to understand, that first of all, if he was God, he would not be able to be tempted, right? And furthermore, when Jesus makes the statement, says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Well, I thought he just had been tempted three times. So it's kind of an oxymoron to say, you shall not do it, but you just did it for three times. And then the Bible also says that Satan departed for a season. That means he's coming back to do some more temptation. So what does it mean when he says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God? Well, if you think about it, it's Jesus exercising his authority. You tempted me once. You tempted me twice. Now it's time to stop. No more. Get out of here. And he departed. Right? That's what you and I need to do. And how many times do we let him come just batting us around the head? You know, half a dozen times, two dozen times. And finally we're like, enough's enough. Stop it. Right? And so Jesus exercised his authority as a man when he spoke to the enemy. But also notice this. When Satan came to tempt him, did he come to tempt him in flesh form? No, Satan's not a flesh and body. He's a spirit, right? So from a spiritual standpoint... He's not seeing Jesus as man. He's seeing Jesus as he truly is. And so Jesus responds to him, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Why? Because he's still God overall, right? Now notice this. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 8. Just to bear reference with that. Matthew chapter 8. It says in verse 28, it says, When he had come to the other side of the country of the 
whatever that city's name is. <laughs> it says, what is it? Sure, sounds good to me. That place. And then it says, There met him two demon-possessed men coming out from the tomb, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. Verse 29. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we done with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? So, were demons, are demons flesh and body, or are they spirit? Their spirit. So they identified with the real him, which is spirit. And they identified, you are the son of God. We know who you are. And notice this. He says, have you come to tempt or uh, to torment us before our time? Why would they say that? Because their lease hadn't run up yet. I said, their lease hadn't run up. The devil is still the God of this world. So they says, what are you doing? Our time's not up yet. Are you coming to torment us before it's time? We still got time here. We still got a lease on this earth. Amen. Are you tracking with me? And so once again, when we begin to look at the Scripture, Scripture begins to define Scripture to really paint the big picture. And as I said, when it comes to our religion and our tradition, if we're not careful, here's what that does. Religion and tradition will say, you know, when it comes to these things that we're talking about or this life as a Christian, it's all up to the sovereign will of God. Whatever God chooses to do is what God chooses to do. And therefore, if it's this way, it's this way. If it's this way, it's this way. And therefore, I just don't know. And what it does is it takes the responsibility and the accountability for me as a believer to take a stand. The Bible says, having, res- uh, having, uh, st- having stood steadfastly, resist therefore the devil, right? He says, you do it. We're praying, oh God, you do something about the devil. He's like, I already did it. It's your job. And so once again, we say, we say well, I just don't know if, if I've got the authority. Well, when you take that stance, you sit back and just say, well, you know what? I'm not going to do anything about what God provided for me. And here's what it really boils down to. It's really a lazy Christian's approach. All right, I'm just not going to do nothing. Okay, devil, you want to run over me? Okay. Want to mess with my kids? Okay. I heard I got authority, but I'm not going to use it. Jesus came to set me free, but if you want to bind me, go ahead. Right? Does that make sense? And so once again, God wants us to understand that there's so much more available to us that we can enforce because of what Jesus came to do. All right, did that answer any questions? Hope it did. Got you up to snuff. If not, that was just for free, and we'll go on to what we're going to share tonight. All right. Okay, so tonight... Let's talk a little bit more concerning this authority that we have in Christ. And just to get us to a place of understanding what we're going to share tonight. Remember the Bible says this, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So God had an intent in the way that he made man. And if you recall, we also said this, that in the beginning, God created man. And the first part of doing it, the Bible says that he took the dust of the ground and formed the outer shell or the physical body of a man, correct? So, that means that every single one of us 
are made from dirt. <laughs> Y'all are dirt bags. <laughs> That's what we are. We're, we're made from dirt. But here's the thing. If you look at a grain of dirt, in the spectrum of a grain of dirt is all the, the, the colors or the skin tones of humanity. Isn't that interesting? So in a grain of dirt is black, yellow, brown, red, white. And some dirts just have some different pigment colors, more or less of something else. I mean, if you go down to Oklahoma, the, the, the dirt down there is red. You go somewhere else, the dirt's a different color. And so isn't it interesting that the enemy has allowed what God created to become a dividing point? Well, your dirt color is a little bit darker. Your dirt color is a little bit more red or a little bit more yellow. And we've let that become an issue of division. No, like I said, y'all dirt bags. <laughs> you just you might have different color tones to you, right? We're all the same. In fact, let's just take it a little bit further. You know, uh, uh, to be politically correct, you know, nowadays, you know, you're supposed to say African-American. Well, do you know where the first mom and dad came from, the first man and woman? The Garden of Eve, Eden was in the upper region of Africa. So I stand before you today saying, I'm African-American. <laughs> I mean, my lineage goes back there. And do you see how silly it is when we really get down to it that we've allowed pigmentation of the dirt to become a dividing factor? We're all the same. Again, we just have a little bit different outward appearance, but the inward man is the same. And as I said, the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says that we're created in the image and the likeness of God. And so therefore, the Bible says that when he made man, he put the very life and the nature of God on the inside of him. And so that means that we have his character and his attributes on the inside of us. So that means that I have the capacity to love like God. The Bible says in Romans that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. So, <clears throat> so that means that if you're the biggest creep, the biggest jerk, I can still love you because I've got the love of God on the inside. I may not want to, but I've got the capacity to, right? The Bible also tells us in Romans, the Bible says that God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. Well, what's the measure of faith that he gave us? In, in Mark eleven twenty two, 22, Jesus said this. He says, have faith in God, or the literal translation says, have the God kind of faith. So the measure of faith that God put in us is really the faith of God. So I have the capacity within me to believe like Jesus did. Why? Because I've got his character and his nature on the inside of me. Come on, doesn't that help us a lot to know that when it comes to me, having faith for something that I don't have to believe in the, in the strength of my own faith. I've got God's faith in me. And how many of you know God's faith works every time? Oftentimes it's just that we didn't know how strong the faith we got on the inside and we've relied on our own strength. Amen? Now, this is just for fun. But we said that we're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God 
from the standpoint of science, science has looked at the makeup just of creation and organisms. And so there's the order of life, if you will. And so they've always said it starts out with the atom, the molecule, the organelle, the cell, the tissues, the organs, the organ system, and then the actual organism. But then they said they found something within all the makeup of organisms that holds it all together. And they found that this substance is called laminin. And laminin is an adhesiveness for the body. Webster's Medical Dictionary says that lamin is is the glycoprotein that is the component and the connective tissue, the basement membrane that promotes cell adhesion. So that means that it holds everything together. Okay, so hold that thought. Do I have any, uh, I'm looking at the crowd, I'm thinking I probably don't. Do I have anybody in here that's like uh, uh, video game people? Video gamers, they got a couple of video, you got to, now there's these things in video games that are called Easter eggs, right? And Easter eggs within a video game is kind of like this secret thing. It's this thing that you discover. In the body of a man of creation are little Easter eggs of God's design. Remember I said that laminin is the adhesive substance that creates cell cohesion that holds everything and binds everything together. They found it under the microscope, and this is what laminin looks like. Laminin is a cross. The cross is the very foundation of the life of a believer. But it also backs up to the very nature of what Jesus came to do to restore man. It was through the cross. And we've got this Easter egg on the inside of us that says the cross. It leads to Jesus, the very makeup of who we are. It always points into the direction of the creator. Now, not only that, you know, they always said that the atom was the smallest particle of matter. But they started to look a little bit further. And they found something that was even smaller than the atom. And they call it the cork. And actually, some scientists have called it the God particle. And here's what they've discovered. Number one, you cannot see it under a microscope. And the reason being is because the component that holds the atom together is sound. So in the very fiber of our being is the voice of God saying, let there be. Sound. I don't know if that does something to you, but that is, does something for me. You know, scientists, they still say this. I don't remember if I shared this last week, but they'll say, you know, we discovered a new planet we, we discovered a new system out there. Do you realize that there is nothing new under the sun, the Bible says? When God said, let there be the heavens and the earth, it all was. But they say, we just discovered it. You know why they're just discovering it? First and foremost is the earth is the center of creation. So everything goes from 
earth out. And from the earth, the center of God's heart, God said, let there be light. And light began to move. And you realize light only travels so fast. So when God said, let there be the heavens and the earth, it was. But when he said, let there light be, and light started to move, light is just now catching up to the creation that was already there. And men are finally discovering what God had done millennia years ago when he said, let there be. Amen? And this is awesome to me. Because once again, science continually proves the fact that God is an awesome God, a master architect. And again, his creation screams of the love of God. And therefore, again, when he's made us, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made in the image and the likeness of God. And so therefore, we've got to begin to understand how God made us. Amen? All right, so let's look at some things concerning what Jesus came to do. Because the Bible says that he came to restore man, to redeem him, to bring him back into the family of God. And so in that, there are some significant things. There are some parallels between man and Jesus. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions, and there's not necessarily a, a wrong answer in the sense that you know you don't have to worry about answering wrong. But I just want you to Respond if you, if you think you know. When Adam died, what died first? Remember we said that man is made up, man is a spirit, possesses a soul, and lives in a body. So when Adam died, what died first, his body or a spirit? Can you hear you? Body? Anybody else? Spirit? Okay. All right. So, man was never meant to experience death. God never makes anything that has death in it. God is a God of life. So, therefore, when God made man, he was never meant to have an end. He was to have eternal fellowship with God. So, what brought about death into the life of man is when he sinned. Sin corrupted his spirit and his spirit became dead, thus separating him from God and thus the reason why God had to set about the plan to send Jesus to restore man. So the spirit of a man had to die first in order for the physical man to die second. You tracking with me? Does that make sense? Because the real you is spirit. If the real you doesn't have death in it, then that means you could live forever in the original design of God. Okay, now when Jesus came, Jesus came, the Bible said he was the second Adam. So therefore when he came, there was no sin found in him, correct? So there came a time when he died. Now what died first in Jesus? His spirit or his physical body? Body? Okay. So we just said this, that without sin in a physical body, you would live forever. Jesus did not have any sin in him because of the manner in how he was brought into the earth, right? 
So therefore, he could never physically die. Do you recall Jesus said this? No man takes my life. I lay it down of my own accord. Right? He says, I give up my own life. And then he's hanging on the cross. As he's hanging on the cross, do you recall he says, Father, I commit my spirit unto you. Then what's the next thing he says? He says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why God forsook him was because at that point of surrendering his spirit, sin came upon him and he spiritually died, taking on the sins of the world. Therefore, God couldn't look upon his son because now his son was filled with sin and death. And then Jesus said, it is finished. And he died. He died spiritually first, and he died physically second. Are you tracking? So in other words, he had to allow himself to be the sacrifice for sin to infect his body, right? And so, once again, that's where we begin to find that there is a relationship between us and God. Now, in regards to that, here's what the Bible says. When Jesus died and rose from the grave in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible says that he has redeemed us from the curse, <clears throat> the curse of the law. So therefore, every single one of us were guilty of sin. There was the curse of the law that was upon all of our lives, which is sickness, disease, poverty and lack, and eternal separation from God. But then Jesus said, you know what? I've redeemed you. I've purchased you back. Now, there's still the curse of the fall, which means you're going to die one day, this physical death. You didn't escape that. But I restored you back to the way that you were originally made. He said, I've come that you would have life and life more abundantly. All right, let me give you a couple more here. What time do we have? I don't know what that is up there. Well, praise the Lord. All right. He'll be back. Very good. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Here's what we've got to understand, that what Jesus came to do, he bought back and gave us what man was originally meant to have. He received it for us. Now, here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Ephesians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is praying. He says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened and that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So what Jesus did, he gave us an inheritance. And he says, I'm praying that you come to know what that inheritance is. Now, if you received word that a rich uncle had passed away and they made you the sole beneficiary of the will and the lawyer sent you a certified letter 
called you on the phone and said, hey, I got to get with you because we got to talk about this estate and this inheritance that your rich uncle left you. Would any of you just say, yeah, I'll get around to it. You know, maybe in a few weeks, kind of busy right now, got behind on cutting the grass and, you know, been working some overtime. And man, you know, to be honest with you, I've been real tired. And so I'll, I'll get with you. I'll give you a call when I'm free. None of us would do that. We'd be like, really? There's an inheritance? Woo! I mean, I didn't even know I had a rich uncle, but wow, all right, come on. When can you meet? Right now? I'm on my way. And so the Bible says that there is an inheritance that Christ made available. And so much of the body of Christ walks around with their head in the sand, not knowing what it is. And part of it is this authority that God gave us to walk in the earth. In fact, we see over here in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, it says, And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. For the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament or a will, there must be there there must also of necessity be the death of the testator or the one that had the will. They've got to die. Verse seventeen. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. So in other words, what Jesus came to provide, he had to die in order for you to receive the inheritance. But now that he's died, rose from the grave, he says, now, find out what it is. Because it's good. (laughs) You want to know this. You want to set up an appointment to find out what you have. We also see this in Romans chapter 8. Remember I said that Jesus was the second Adam. In Romans chapter 8 verse 29, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn. Everybody say firstborn. So if there's a firstborn, does that mean that there's got to be a Second born, he's the firstborn among many brethren. So it's not even just a second. He said there's many. And what's the many? The many are all those that come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's the firstborn. And the moment you receive Christ, I've got an inheritance. I want you to know the inheritance. I tell you about Jesus and you get in on the same deal. Now, my deal doesn't get diluted because you get in on it too. No, it's the same deal. Amen? You get all the benefits that I got. And then somebody else, they get all the benefits that you and I both get. In fact, you remember the parable that Jesus tells? He says, there are those that he hires to go out into the field. And he says, I'll pay you a wage. And then he says, there's those that he hired just at the very last. And he paid them the same amount of wage as he did the ones in the first. Why? Because he cares about everybody. So you might have been walking with God all your life and somebody else just gets saved on their deathbed. Man, they still get the same inheritance. Some might get to live it out on the earth a little longer. Others just receive it or walk in it when they get to heaven. All right? Lastly is this. We said he's the firstborn of many brethren. We said that there's this inheritance, and this is where we'll finish tonight. In Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, 
as his divine power, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who calls us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He says that you would be partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature he's talking about goes back to the beginning of when he breathed life into man. The divine nature is the same divine nature that the scripture says in John 10.10, for Jesus came that they would have life and life more abundantly. The definition is in quality and quantity. If you don't experience quality of life, quantity of health, quantity of peace, quality of life in all facets, there's areas of the inheritance that you're not walking in. Because he says, I came that you might have life and life more abundantly. It's your inheritance. Amen? Man. <laughs> Let me ask you this. They called you up. In fact, I'll just use Eddie. Eddie, you got this new job, so you haven't worked the Worked any in the, how many months now? <laughs> Since January. You know, you're used to that hard work. But, you know, they call you up and rich uncle, man, he left you inheritance. Then there's $5 million tax-free. Come and pick it up. Uh, are you going to be sad about that? Just a, just a church. Just a church. That's all. <laughs> no, he's not going to be upset about that, right? In fact, he starts talking about it. I, I guarantee you, when he and the wife start talking about it, man, babe, I went down there. They told me what the inheritance is. I can guarantee you the side of his mouth starts to curl up as he's telling her, like, it's a lot. She's like, what? Like, thousands? It's a lot. I mean, like, tens of thousands? <laughs> Baby, it's a lot. Tell me how much. A million? Baby, it's a lot of money, right? Think about just your expression and your joy. The freedom that you would feel in that moment. That's what Jesus came to give. But so many believers walk around with the heaviness of life, the burdens of the world. Their face isn't smiling. It's dragging on the ground. And it's because it's like, well, I guess that's the sovereign will of God. I guess I'm meant to be this way. I guess, you know, some get it, some don't. I guess I'm one that don't. I'll just lay down and let the devil kick on me. That's all right. It's just, you know, poor me. Yeah? That's not the life that God wants us to experience. Now, don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean that you don't face hardships. Oh, sure, we do. But the Bible says that we have the victory in every circumstance. It might be a fight of faith, but we win. All right. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and take a look at all of our social media sites, which can be found at our website, gvchurch.tv. We know that today's message has been a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. We are Genesee Valley Church, loving God, loving people, and loving life.